How's everybody doing? Good. Okay, so two fun facts this morning. Well, I guess maybe three fun facts. Um, one is this is not our normal. <laughs> this is not our normal setup. So if it's your first time, usually I'm, I'm over there and everyone's out here and it's a little bit different here. We had our worship night Friday. If you were here for that, that was good. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I guess that's kind of fun fact number one. Um, fun fact number two is, is I've never worn any kind of jacket while I taught, but I turned 40 this year and I keep getting cold easier. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a sign of, of age or what, but I'm like, man, I'm cold. So like I put on my, put on my little cute cardigan thing here. So uh, got that going on. It's um, fun fact number two. What was fun fact number three? I might've forgot. Oh, I know what it was. How could I forget? So I've been a little nauseous, so I actually have like a little throw-up bucket right here. So um, yeah, so let's all pray that that doesn't happen because I don't know if I will ever recover if I throw up in front of, you know, a thousand people or whatever. So uh, let's uh, splash zone. It's like those Gallagher shows back in the 80s when you would, you know, anyway. So uh, today we're talking about baptism. If you have never been with us before, um, we usually go expositorily, that means line by line, chapter by chapter, through whole books of the Bible, and we'll pick back up on that next week. We'll be back in Revelation. We only got a couple more weeks, and we'll be done with the book of Revelation. Uh, but we take a break three times a year, and we talk about baptism, because it's very, very important to us, because it's very, very important to God. So here's what I hope to do today. If you have never been baptized... Maybe you were baptized as an infant. Maybe you're baptized uh, because your girlfriend talked you into it when you were 14, or maybe someone just felt convicted right there. Maybe, maybe you're just baptized at an age when it really wasn't your decision. My hope today is to show you biblically some evidence of how important baptism is and how it's a turning point in, in any believer's life. And so I wanna show you some evidence in the hopes that if you have not done this, or maybe you did it at a time when it wasn't real to you, that you'll consider doing that today, okay? So at the end, we'll give you the opportunity to take communion, which we do every single service. Get prayer, we do that. Um, you can talk to one of our pastors if you have any questions. And then the big invitation, though, today is if you wanna get baptized. So we'll have everything set up for you, clothes and all that jazz, and the water is warm. And if you got baptized here about three years ago, that warm water, you're, you're really appreciative for that. That's a luxury around here, so... Uh, Got everything set up and ready to go for you. So anyways, I'm gonna pray and we'll jump into this. And um, one more thing, if you get a chance, go back and visit the Renewed Life table back there. My buddy Derek Faulkner, he's been a good friend of mine for years. Um, he actually got sent to the hospital today. He's got cancer and he's, he's not doing well. So we're gonna pray for him this morning. We're gonna pray that God touches his body. But go back there and visit their stand. Renewed Life is a fantastic ministry. And um, if you haven't gotten a shirt from the, the weekend for the worship night, go ahead and pick up one of those. So, uh, all right, let's pray. I feel like Mr. Rogers with my hands in my pockets like this, but I, but I actually kind of like it. So, uh, all right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, God, for a wonderful Friday night. Thank you, God, just to be able to come in here and to worship with a lot of people and uh, just celebrate you and focus on you. God, we need that every once in a while, Lord, just to, just to worship for a couple of hours. Father, Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on my buddy Derek. He's a good man, leads a very, very important ministry who's helped a lot of men throughout the years. God, I pray, Lord, that you bless his body. I pray that you protect him. I pray that you heal him, God. Pray, Lord, that you keep your hand on his doctors. Pray that you keep your hand on his wife, his family, and we just pray that he recovers from this. Father, uh, we also ultimately pray that your will be done. Whatever brings you the most glory, whatever is what you want to happen, God, we pray for that, Lord. 
Father, we pray that you keep your hand on us as we just kind of get into your word and talk about baptism, Lord. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for every nonprofit in our city. And we pray that everything we do brings you honor, brings you glory, God. It's not about us, Father. It's about you, and we want to be obedient to you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you don't know anything about baptism, maybe the only thing you know is it has something to do with water. Baptism is our symbolic and public display that we have chosen to become a Christian. This is where the Bible says we're brought to life. Now, I always use the example of a wedding ring. This is my wedding ring. Fun fact about my wedding ring. It is made up from the gold uh, of the ring that my father bought my mother back in 1968, and I had it melted down and made into mine. They're divorced, so I I hope that there's no curse on this or anything. But um, (laughs) anyways, that was a joke, a bad one. I think of baptism similar to my wedding ring. This is not my marriage. It's just symbolic of the fact that I'm married. So when you see my hand, you know that I'm taken. Baptism is much the same way. That when you're baptized, the world around you knows that you are taken. You have a husband, and that husband is Jesus Christ, right? You're spoken for. And so baptism is not your salvation. It's a representation of the fact that you have been saved, So baptism identifies us as Christians. It's probably the most evident part of us being adopted into the family of God. It should also mark a turning point. What I mean by that is, as we become Christians, as we grow in our faith, there are different things that we do that should be kind of turning points that draw us closer to God, okay? Repentance, of course, is one where we ask for God's forgiveness, turn from our evil ways, and then baptism is another one after that. And we should continually be growing closer to Jesus Christ. Now, again, I'm going to show you, I'm going to kind of pepper this lesson with some scripture from all different places in the New Testament. But Paul talked a lot about baptism, and he thought it was extremely important. He says this about baptism. Having been buried with Jesus in baptism, you are also raised with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So just like Jesus was raised from from the dead, baptism is where we are raised from spiritual death, okay? Very, very important. Now, my first piece of evidence when it comes to baptism is the fact that Jesus was baptized. This is a big deal. This is very important. When Jesus came onto the scene, when Jesus came onto the scene, he came to shake things up. God sent his son to change the process by which mankind, that's us, and God are reconciled. Now, if you've never gotten into the Old Testament, I always make the joke, if my wife and I lived in Old Testament times, she would have to be the person to sacrifice the animals. I just couldn't do it. I can't do blood. I can't do guts. I can't do any of that. My wife can, right? And so if you go back into the Old Testament, they would have to kill an animal. They would pour the blood on an altar. They would take some parts of it and discard it. They would burn certain parts. They would eat certain parts. And what that did, this obedience to God through the sacrifice, is it didn't alleviate sin It just pushed sin back for a year. So the sin was still there, but it was just kind of rolled forward, almost like a spiritual credit card, if you will. The debt is there, but it kind of buys you some time. That's why they say when Jesus came and he became the ultimate sacrifice, he took all of the sin of the past and all of the sin of the future and paid for all of it. The debt was taken care of. But a part of that process came through baptism, that through repentance and baptism, we don't have debt anymore spiritually. That debt is paid for. It is taken care of. Now, this game changer happened. 
It started with a guy named John the Baptist. He kind of looked like Noah up here, the guy that was playing guitar. So John the Baptist, <laughs> John, I'm going to use him as an object lesson sometime. But John the Baptist was in the Jordan River setting up the coming of Jesus Christ. And so day in, day out, John the Baptist is baptizing people. They say he baptized six-figure numbers, 100,000-plus people that John the Baptist baptized in his short ministry. One day, Jesus walks up, gets into the Jordan River, goes up to John the Baptist, and he says, Hey, John, I need you to baptize me. Now, John knew exactly who Jesus was. He knew who he was. And so just like any of us in this room who are humble, right? If God's son walked up to you and said, I need you to baptize me, John's like, I can't do that. I can't even untie your shoes. I'm not fit to baptize you. You should baptize me. But Jesus gave a very, very important response. He says this in Matthew. Jesus says, John, it should be done to carry out what God requires. Jesus says, John, this is what God wants out of us. This is what the Father wants out of us. So once John heard that from Jesus, he agreed. He said, okay, I'll baptize you. So he baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water. It says the sky opens up, the Holy Spirit comes down, and they hear the voice of God say something that is extremely important. The voice of God says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, why did Jesus bring God the Father great joy with baptism? Not because the Jordan River is magical or anything like that. It's because he was being obedient to the Father. The Father said, do this. He did it. And that makes God smile. Our obedience makes God smile. Now, what's interesting is this, is Jesus didn't have to get baptized. He had never done anything wrong. He didn't have any sins to ask for forgiveness for. So why did he do it? Jesus did it because he wanted to be an example to you and I. What we see in this, and this is very, very interesting. Jesus will never ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done first. Even if Jesus asks you to give up your life, he's already given up his life for you and I. And he did it, as the Bible says, when we were dirty sinners. The other thing we learn from this passage is that baptism makes God happy. If you get baptized for no other reason, it makes your Father in heaven happy. Even if we don't have to do it, and I'll get to that later, but even if we don't have to, it brings him joy, so we should want to do it. Another reason why that baptism is important is according to the book of Acts, there is an activation in our soul when something happens, when we're obedient and we get baptized. Like I said before, a relationship with Jesus is a process. If you've never heard the word sanctified before, it's a very churchy, fancy word, but all the word sanctified means is the closer we get to God, the more we're set apart for God to use us, that he can do something with us. We're sanctified. Now, as we're set apart for him, the choices we make in our relationship with God open up promises for us. There are conditional promises in the Bible. There's unconditional ones too, but there's conditional ones. If you do this, I will do this. And in Acts 2.38, which I'll show you here in a second, Peter says, if we repent for our sins, ask for forgiveness and turn from our sins, and if we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that we are empowered by God to live in a way that we could not live otherwise. Now, if you've never read the book of Acts, it's the fifth book of the New Testament. It's fascinating. A lot of crazy stuff happens in the book of Acts. The craziness begins in Acts chapter two, right out of the gates, right? 
And so in Acts chapter two, you find there's about 150 Christians who are hanging out in this big rented apartment building in, in Jerusalem. It started off, there was 500 of them, then it whittled down to about 150. They're praying and they're waiting on God to send the Holy Spirit. And they had no idea what that meant. But Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And saying, well, okay, we'll wait for the Holy Spirit. You can imagine someone would sneeze or something like, oh no, it was just Peter sneezing. You know, but they're just waiting for the Holy Spirit and they didn't know what to expect. So one day as they're up there praying, it says the Holy Spirit came and it came like a rushing mighty wind. It came with a bunch of force. It filled up all the believers. It says they poured out onto the streets. They started speaking in other languages that they should not have known. It was about nine o'clock in the morning and people are going to and from work and they're doing their daily stuff and Jerusalem was a very crowded kind of multicultural city and all these people are walking around and they see the Christians speaking in tongues out on the streets and so they start talking to each other and it's like, man, are the Jesus followers like drunk or something? It's only nine o'clock. They had those sundial watches. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I don't think they had Seikos back then. I'm not sure, but anyways... And so Peter heard that they were talking about the Christians being out of their mind. And Peter jumps up and he says, no, 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 they're not crazy. They're not drunk as you suppose. That's what the scripture says. Peter says, they're full of the Holy Spirit. God had promised us for hundreds and hundreds of years, and, and, and the prophet Joel said this hundreds of years ago, that, that one day God would pour out his spirit. And Peter said, that's what's happening right now. And so Peter started to tell these people, God sent his son, the Messiah, the Savior, and you guys had him crucified. You killed him. So the people that heard Peter, it said that it like struck their hearts. And they were curious and they were interested. And they said, well, Peter, okay, if Jesus is the Savior, what do we do? That's, that's maybe one of the most pivotal questions in the entire Bible. What do we do now? And Peter says to them, this is what he says. He says, repent for your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, this is a promise. If you do this, you will receive this. It's a promise. It's for you. It's for your kids. It's for all people in other countries that haven't even heard this yet. As many as God will call. And it says that Peter continued to teach them and urge them. And this is very important. Look at this. It says, those who accepted the message. The message is the gospel. So if you have accepted the gospel about Jesus Christ, the natural response biblically is to be baptized. That's what it says right there. They were baptized. That day, 3,000 people were added to the church. They were baptized that day. So here's the thing about this activation, this Holy Spirit thing. As a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Nothing scary about the Holy Spirit. It's a third of God, right? This is something that's just as important as Jesus and God the Father is the Holy Spirit. And for some reason, so many Christians are afraid of the Holy Spirit. They're afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. He said, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Don't be ignorant about the Holy Spirit is what he says. Be educated on the gifts of the Spirit. So everyone in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, I recommend that you go into 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, read chapters 12, 13, and 14, and ask God, God, what gifts do you want me to have? How do you want me to use these gifts? God gives us these gifts and he gives us the Holy Spirit so we can lift each other up and so our relationship with Christ can get stronger. You don't need to be afraid of it. You just need to be educated about it, okay? But there's an activation that takes place. Another piece of evidence about baptism 
is Jesus simply tells us to do it. I don't know if you ever feel like this, but I do. I, I naturally want to question things. Someone will do something, and why are you doing it that way, right? And I've done it with God. Now, sometimes when it comes to our faith, we're not going to understand everything. We just need to do what Jesus tells us to do. And if the Bible says to do it, it doesn't matter if I fully understand it or not, we need to do it. We need to do it. And so I know it's imperative to do what God tells us to do. Now, one of the most direct commands that Jesus ever gave his followers is at the very end of the book of Matthew. At the very end of the book of Matthew, Jesus is ascending into heaven. He's going up to heaven. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. He looks at his followers and he gives them a direct three-point command. He says, go to the entire world, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything that I've taught you. And remember, you're not alone. I'm going to be with you until I come back. Now, that sounds odd. I'm leaving, but I'm going to be with you. He was referring to the Holy Spirit that he was about to send. So we are to make disciples, we're to baptize, and to teach. Any of you Greek scholars in here, if you look this up in the Greek, it says, disciple, baptize, and, make, and, and, and teach people everything that Jesus taught us. It says the exact same thing in the Greek as it says right there. It's very plain and simple. Jesus also says in another gospel, in the gospel of John, that if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. There are so many Christians that say they love God, but they don't do what Jesus tells them to do. And Jesus tells us to baptize, therefore the church is called to baptize. This is what we are called to do. And if we love Jesus, we will do what he tells us to do. Now, one of the neatest things about baptism is the symbolism of baptism. The symbolism. Baptism symbolizes the old self dying and the new self rising up. Now, I don't know if any of you in here have made enough mistakes to where you would love to see the old you die, right? I was like that in 2002. I was 23 years old. I was very happy to let the old Corey die. But baptism, the water, you almost think of it like a, like a burial ceremony. The body goes under, it's buried, that person's dead. And then when that person comes up out of the water, it symbolizes resurrection, it symbolizes them coming back to life, but they're new, they're different. Now listen, this doesn't mean you're perfect. You're gonna make mistakes. You're still gonna have struggles, but we are freed from sin's bondage. We're not slaves to sin anymore. That means that when we do make a mistake, we can run to Christ and we can say, we're sorry. And God says, I forgive you, I forget it, let's move on. You're no longer a slave to the way you used to be. Look at how Paul talks about this to the church in Rome. He says, are you unaware that all of us were baptized into Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we walk in a newness of life. We are different. We are not what we used to be. It goes on to say, if we're united with his death, we're also united with his resurrection because the old person is crucified. I love this next part. It says the old self is rendered powerless. Well, Corey, I've done all these things. Okay, that old person is powerless. Now, because you have the Holy Spirit of God with you, you now have the power to overcome. The Bible says we're even more than overcomers. We're not just overcomers, we're more than overcomers. So when we baptize people, whether it's me or someone else or your friend or a family member, whatever it may be, 
we always encourage people to pray Jesus' name over those that we baptize. Now, this is a very important slide to me, and let me tell you why. My wife and I got saved in a denomination, and I'm not trying to be a jerk here, in a denomination where they, they literally thought if you didn't say the exact right words when someone got baptized, that their baptism is no good. Now, that's not theologically sound. If you get into Romans chapter eight, it says no demon, no angel, no person on earth, nothing can thwart your salvation. Nothing can take you out of the Father's hands. Nothing can do that. So what is said when you're baptized over here is there's no magic formula that you say the right thing and you're saved. I can't save you. The only one that can save you is Christ and no one can unsave you except for Christ, if that makes any sense. So when you go over there and you get baptized, it's not so much about what I or anyone says, it's about the repentance and the genuineness of your heart. That's what's important. Now, after saying all that, let me also say this. There is no name under heaven on earth by which we must be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. So every time I pray for someone, every time I baptize someone, I wanna speak the name of Jesus Christ because that is the identity that you are taking on. Not just that, if you have the, the honor of baptizing someone today and you don't have eloquent words, you don't have anything fancy to say, if you just say in the name of Jesus Christ, that is completely sufficient. That name holds all power. Just let me get a little preachy here for a second. If you find yourself in the hospital or if you find someone at work that comes up to you and says that they're suicidal or whatever the case may be, whenever we genuinely speak the name of Jesus Christ, God always shows up. Amen. He always shows up. When we call for our father, he comes running. So that word, that's why we don't take that name in vain, the Bible says. That's why we don't use it carelessly because it's a powerful word. It's a powerful weapon. The Bible says this about our identity in Jesus. Through, through faith, we are all sons of God and Christ Jesus. For those who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Look at this. This is so relevant to our time. There is no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. We are all one under Jesus Christ. We live in a culture that finds their identity in absolutely everything except for their creator. We find it in our nationality. We find it in our skin color. We find it on our sexual preference. We find it in our gender. We find it in our occupation. We find it in all these other things. And God says your identity is not found in your sex or your color or your nationality. Your identity is found in the one that you were made in the image of. And you were made in the image of God. So when we pray the name of Jesus over you, that's your identity. Everything else is secondary. Yes, I'm a heterosexual male who has a wife and I'm a pastor. That's not my identity. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That is my identity. That's where I hang my hat and that's what's important to me and that's what's important to God. So the final question, the one that people argue about and fight about, I haven't told this story in a while so I just, I just wanna tell it because it's fun. And you're the 11 o'clock so we have just infinite amounts of time, right? <laughs> The first, time, the first time I ever wrote this message, uh, I've only had an office here for about four years. Um, so those of you who have offices, appreciate your offices. I didn't have one for the first six years of the church. And so I'd go to Starbucks and I'd work on my lessons. This is how I look when I work. I work very fast. And um, I'm in Starbucks and I'm working on my PowerPoint and there were two seminary students sitting next to me. Uh, they were in their 20s, not married, didn't have a degree yet, so they, they knew everything, and they were sitting right next to me, 
and they had this big stack of books, right? And they looked over and they saw me working on my, my baptism lesson. And uh, one of them looks over and says, hey, uh, what are you working on? I said, a lesson on baptism. And he said, well, do you think you have to get baptized to be saved? And I was like, I don't know if you have to, but Jesus did it. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, I guess it just makes sense that I would do it, right? You know, and I just kind of left it at that because I'm a nice guy. I don't want to argue with people. And... Um, <laughs> So this kid started to go into, well, you know, so-and-so in the 1300s thought this, and Tertullian thought this, and Calvin thought this, and Luther thought this, and started going on and on and on and, and making this huge argument about why baptism is not an essential thing in the life of a Christian. And so I just listened. And so eventually I said, hey, I'm just curious, you know, what, what denomination is the seminary you're going to? And they looked at me and they said, well, we're Baptists. And I was like, <laughs> the, the irony was just too thick at that point. And um, I just kind of said, well, well, good luck, guys. <laughs> good luck. I hope that goes well for you. And I just kind of let it go. But I find it fascinating that people who call themselves Christians will work so hard, listen, to see what they don't have to do for Jesus. <laughs> that kind of bothers me a little bit. Any of you who've been saved by grace through faith, that's all of you, by the way, any of us who've been saved by the grace of God, to ask God what's the bare minimum I have to do, to spend hours finding how little I have to do, I'm, not, I'm just not okay with that. So here's the other thing. Your theology should come from the Bible. Nothing wrong with commentators, nothing wrong with Calvin and Luther and Tertullian and other great people who contributed to their, their thoughts to this work. But ultimately, our theology comes from the Holy Bible. It's the mind of God, right? And so when you get into the Bible, in the New Testament, there's kind of a formulaic response when people give their lives to Jesus. So I'm talking post, accepting that Christ is everything he says he is, the first response is always repentance because we realize that we have wronged God. We have this heartfelt sorrow. We want to change because we see that we are living in a way that doesn't please the Lord. That's our first response. You see it all throughout. There is no salvation without repentance. No salvation without repentance. That's why I get a kick out of these jokers that go into malls and concerts and pray for people to be healed that aren't Christians but never tell them about Jesus Christ. Never, never bring up repentance or that they need to give their life to the Lord. That's not the true gospel. And so the first response is always asking for forgiveness of sin, denying yourself in order to walk with Jesus. That kind of leads into kind of a, maybe this is a little bit out of order, but a saving faith. Now, a lot of Christians say, I have faith in Jesus. Now, it says in the book of James that even the demons in hell have faith in Jesus. That's not a saving faith. There's a difference between faith and saving faith. If I have faith that Jesus is, is up there, that doesn't save me. A saving faith is a personal relationship with Jesus. It's trusting him. It's walking with him every day. It's a complete surrender. It is putting the kind of faith in Jesus that I know that he has all the answers and that I have to do what he tells me to do. I have to walk the way that he wants me to walk. That's a saving faith. And then the next response all throughout the New Testament is people were baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. Cornelius and his household were baptized. 3,000 people in Acts chapter two were baptized. People always were baptized as a public statement of their faith. It happens all throughout it. Here's the other thing is a lot of people get baptism and repentance confused. Now listen, I have nothing against, if you were baptized as a child, 
and then you wanted to get rebaptized as an adult because you didn't know what you were getting into. And I'm not trying to knock on Catholics, but if you were just, you know, confirmed when you were 13, baptized as an infant, but it was never your decision, and you want to get, re- that, that's good, that's fine, I think that's proper. But don't get baptism and repentance confused. Some people, they'll get baptized, live like hell for a year, and then come back and be like, I need to get rebaptized. No, you need to repent, you need to go back to the cross. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins. You need to turn from your destructive and evil ways. You don't need to make a public profession again. You need to stop looking at porn at two o'clock in the morning. That's what you need to do, right? You need to turn from that sin that you've been engaged in. But let's get back to the question. Whenever we start asking questions like, do I have to do this? Do I have to be baptized to be saved? Let me ask you this if you're a Christian in this room. If you call yourself a follower follower of Jesus, I'm going to assume that you you at least have a rudimentary rudimentary idea of what the cross represents. That Jesus Christ, the one that everything was spoken into creation through Jesus Christ, that's what the Bible says, that the one that spoke it all into existence, God came to earth, lived as a man, was beaten and spat upon and abused and made fun of, was nailed to a hunk of wood for nine hours. And in the book of Romans, it says, he did that while we were still sinners. If you have just a little bit of an idea of what that means, if you understand, if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, if you can see what God did for us, and then if you can still look at Jesus and say, what's the bare minimum that I have to do? I dare say you're not as much of a follower of Christ as you think you are. There is something wrong with your heart. If we start asking questions like how little we have to do to be saved or to please the Lord, there's something that's wrong with us and our questions need to change. When it comes to our relationship with God, the kind of questions we ask are very, very important. If you're married in this room, think about it this way. Think about if your wife walked up to you and said, hey, do we, do we have to keep hanging out? <laughs> what if your husband walked up and said, do we, do we have to keep being intimate? Do we have to have sex in our marriage? Can we still be married and not go out on dates? Can we still be married and not have dinner together? If your spouse came up and asked you what's the bare minimum you can do without getting divorced, wouldn't you worry about that person? So if we're the bride of Christ and he's our husband and we constantly look at our husband and say, What's the bare minimum we have to do to still squeak our way into heaven, right? How can I live life to the fullest here, if you will, and still get in there, right? How can I do what I wanna do but still not go to hell for eternity? If we ask those kinds of questions, there's something deeper that is wrong with us. We need to find humility. We need to find ourselves face first in front of God saying, God, you need to touch my heart. It's become contaminated. (laughs) Instead of asking the God that died for us on the cross, What do I have to do? Maybe a better understanding, maybe a better question is to say, God, it doesn't matter if I have to do it or not. If it pleases you, I'll do it. If it makes you happy, I'll do it. God, if it was good enough for your son, it's it's good enough for me. I'll do it too. Listen, the question of do you have to be baptized to go to heaven, I've never answered it. I don't care to. It's a stupid question. It's a dumb question. You know, you know what another dumb question is, just because you're the 11 and I can talk as long as I want? <laughs> the argument about predestination and free will is a dumb question. You want to know why? If you're living for Jesus, it doesn't matter. <laughs> 
If you're living the way the Bible tells you to live, it doesn't matter if I'm predestined or if I have the choice to slip out of salvation or not. If I'm doing what the Father tells me to do, I'm good. I'm good. It's a waste of your time to argue about things that are not essential. It's a waste of our time. People go into hell all around us and we're too busy squabbling between churches about these things that aren't even essential for us to go to heaven or not. That's stupid. What a waste. It's the same thing with this question of baptism. Do I have to? I don't care if you have to or not. I know Jesus did and you claim to be a follower, so I would do exactly what he does. Listen, all of this is not to guilt you into getting baptized. That is not what I want to do. Those little tanks over there that cost us a couple hundred bucks, we've had the same ones for years and years and years. In the last 10 years, I bet we've baptized four or 5,000 people in those little tanks. And all those baptisms, I've never pulled one person out of the baptismal tank who didn't enjoy it, who wasn't changed, who there wasn't a smile on their face. It will absolutely change your life, not because those waters are magical, but when we are obedient to what God tells us to do, he blesses us. When we are obedient to what God tells us to do, God works in our life. The Bible says that if we take a step towards him, he takes a step towards us. So that's where I challenge you. If you have not done this, let me ask you this question. Why? Why have you not done this? We have everything taken care of. We have clothes, we have towels, the water's warm, we have rooms to change in. We'll get your information so we can make sure that you don't slip through the cracks. We'll do whatever we need to do, okay? So listen, before I pray, if you need prayer for anything today, this wall over here, they're usually over here, but this wall over here, where all the art is, there'll be people back there to pray for you. It can be anything you want. Go back there and they'll pray for you, okay? If you have any questions about faith, Dave is right over here. He's wearing the Experience Community shirt over here. You should throw him some zingers, like why does evil exist and stuff like that. But if you have any questions, <laughs> why do good things happen to bad, or why do bad things happen to good people? You know, all these kinds of things, right? Seriously, though, if you're new here, maybe you're not a Christian and you're, you're legitimately curious, seriously, go talk to Dave. There's also communion all the way around the room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. The body and blood, the bread and the wine, anyone can take that. Reminds us of what God has done for us on the cross. The last thing is baptism. Straight through this room back here, these double doors, there's some people who they'll, they'll get clothes for you, they'll get towels for you, they'll pray with you, they'll get everything taken care of for you. And then when you come over here, and we'll have people who will be over here to baptize you, okay? If you feel God nudging you in that direction, again, I'm gonna ask you, why would you not do this? And that's between you and the Lord, okay? All right, let me pray for you guys. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much. Father, we pray that you keep your hand on us, God. Lord, if, if there are people in this room that just maybe they, they need to repent, Lord, I pray that they repent and that they get communion and they remember, God, what you've done for them. Through your son, who shed his blood for us, God. Lord, if there are people in this room that have questions, God, Lord, let them go talk to Dave. Maybe they can get some good answers. Maybe they can find kind of the next step. If there are people that need prayer, Father, Lord, please let them go back there with the prayer team and get prayer for whatever they need. And Jesus, if you're working on anyone's heart this morning and maybe they have never been baptized, maybe they're baptized as a child and it wasn't their choice, whatever the case may be, God, we leave that between you and them. But Lord, please encourage them to go sign up and to get this taken care of, God. Lord, we love you. Bless people's obedience for doing these steps. Bless us, Lord God, until we meet again next week and get back into the book of Revelation. 
And we just thank you so much, Lord. Bless this church, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.